0: Hey, hey, Prime members talking to you. You can listen to CBS Mornings on the go ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it, too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores,
1: how lucky i am that darren puts so much trust and faith in me and and you know so much though so that like on set i could you know if i was watching the monitor and 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 i had an idea or a thought i could just like rush up to darren and brendan and express that thought and they welcomed it more from this episode of cbs mornings after this short break hello i'm cbs news contributing correspondent Jamie Wax,
2: and this is the cbs mornings podcast Samuel D. Hunter has long been recognized as one of America's greatest playwrights, but now he's being recognized on a whole different level as the screenwriter of his own adaptation of The Whale. He joins us today. Certified genius by the MacArthur (laughs) Foundation, Samuel D. Hunter joins us. Sam, welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
2: Uh, I am thrilled to have this conversation with you. As I told you, I had the privilege of seeing the play that this is is based on uh, at Playwrights Horizons in New York City in 2012. And I could not get over how what a smart idea it was. It was almost the use of a small stage uh, as a sort of limitation that created the art of the piece. Mm. So when I when I saw that it was going to become a film, I couldn't wait to see how that what happened? Did did you have the same feeling as a writer when they said, let's let's make a film of this?
1: I mean, it was, you know, when when I first wrote this thing, I, you know, I, I started working on this 12, 13 years ago. And, and I think at the beginning, I felt like I was just writing it for me. I mean, it was, mm. you know, it sprang from such a personal place and it felt like incredibly vulnerable. And you know, I really, when I was first writing it, I was like, maybe this is just meant to live on my hard drive. Like maybe this is just a kind of, <laughs> you know, like an act of personal purgation or, or or self-therapy or something like that and so you know just having it staged in new york off broadway felt like uh this incredible miracle uh of like the, that that it was resonating with people and people were going on the ride and 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 really like interested in this guy and wanting to live with this guy i mean it was it was so gratifying and so i didn't even know that darren had seen it You know, uh, I I just got a call out of the blue saying Darren Aronofsky wants to meet with you. And so it was it was a very radical idea for me, like the idea of making it into a film. And I was nervous about it because, you know, I think the traditional um, approach to adapting a play to a film is to, you know, open it up. Um, And and every time I ideated about what it would be to open this story up, I just was like, I don't see it. I, I don't. I, you know, I, I guess we could like, you know, live with, we could add other characters or add other settings, but I was like, what what does that do to this story? If anything, I think, I think it just kind of attenuates the story to open it up in that way. Um, so I was very, very happy when in one of our initial meetings, it wasn't the first meeting, but it was very early on when Darren said, let's keep it in the room um, or keep it in the apartment. Uh, and I knew that that was the right decision. Uh, it was the difficult decision, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah. it was it was the right decision, you know. And and you know, I I I think about like some of my favorite play to movie adaptations, and like one of my favorite <laughs> ones is uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf? Uh,
0: yes,
1: and that is also that's a very like the whale. It's it's a very um, faithful adaptation of that play. I mean, there's there's cuts um, and and a little bit of location shifting. Um, Yeah,
2: I mean, and of course, the great Mike Nichols did something that's also used somehow in this uh, where the opening sequence is the long, long walk home after that Mm. that party. Yep. And which which shows you that this night should have never happened. Yes. Um, (laughs) You you also start this film with a a jolt of energy um, as as the play did. And um, and also in a certain way everything in this play might not have happened if, mm. if things had gone a little differently. That's right. Um, and it, it brings a real sense of urgency and uh, desperation uh, to the story uh, that, that really fuels it as, as a movie in a, in a great way.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, I, I mean, I think I, there, there's something about the play where uh, you know, this, this guy has been isolated for a very, very long time um, but at the top of this play, that isolation is kind of punctured, you know, yes. uh, and and this outsider it, all of a sudden is is in his midst in a very intimate way. Um, and, and so I think that's, that's how the play always worked, too. I, I think the play in the film works similarly in that way, that there is that kind of like um, this guy who's been uh, self-isolating for so long, but all of a sudden there's this kind of ticking clock that starts at the very beginning of the play. And the movie i mean
2: every every time i want to talk to you about this i don't want to spoil it for people who are going to discover (laughs) this this gem so i'm going to try to talk around some of the things i love about it but the the 10 years uh since the new york run uh have given you an opportunity to start this film with something very familiar to all of us since the pandemic yeah and and reflect on our own isolation in a way that that you couldn't in 2012.
1: Yeah, it's been really interesting how, you know, when, when I first wrote this play, I mean, I, I don't think it's giving too much away to say that the main character teaches uh, mm-hmm. English online uh, over the Internet. And, and when I first wrote, started writing this in 2009, that was a very novel uh, idea. I mean, I, I was teaching expository writing at the time at Rutgers. Um, mm-hmm. And the reason that I had the idea for a person who was teaching online is because I got offered an online course um, to teach essay writing, I didn't end up doing it, but I remember when I got offered it, I was like, "Oh, wow, we can teach over the internet now. That's amazing." <laughs> um, but now obviously that has become pretty de rigueur. Uh, so yeah. it's and, and and it's been interesting too. Just you know, I I, I started writing this play thinking like, "Okay, this is uh, like," and I think this is true of probably all of my plays that they're fundamentally about the tragedy of isolation and mm. the redeeming value of human connection. Um, and there's just something about, you know, obviously the last few years have kind of underscored that in such a profound way for me. Um, so so I'm hoping that this story, even though it is, you know, it did run in New York uh, exactly 10 years ago to the day. Actually, it was running uh, at Playwrights Horizons <laughs> right now. <laughs> wow. Um, but, you know, I'm hoping that it does have uh, some kind of new resonance for people now.
2: I definitely I it it spoke to me in a different way than it did a decade ago Mm -hmm. uh, just the story but also let's talk about the uh, first of all you get Darren Aronofsky who's who's one of the most interesting directors uh, working today Um, and also I would imagine there were some things back when he first contacted you that were intimidating about how he might change your piece because we hadn't seen the full breadth of of what his vision was by then. I mean, some of his most interesting works been done in the last decade. Yeah. Uh, was, was there, I mean, you talked about them forcing you to open it up. You know, I, I think of also uh, the adaptation of uh, come back to the five and dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, which is a hugely underrated film that they really just shot as the play. Mm. Uh, was there some concern after, like, those initial meetings, was there concern that this was going to stay pure to your vision over the course of how long this took?
1: I think, it, weirdly enough, it it kind of happened in this—I was very lucky the way that this this rolled out because, you know, I when I first had that meeting with Darren, I mean, I, I think that was, like, one of the first, you know, film and TV meetings I ever had. And so my expectations— wow kind of were non-existent I was just I, I had no idea I mean I was just like how does this work like what does this look like uh and and so I came into it very um I mean maybe a little naive <laughs> if I'm being honest yeah. you know um and and so I'm so lucky that Darren put so much trust in me and the script um you know I mean Darren did not have to have me on set the entire time and he did You know, like I was I was on set the entire shoot. I was working very closely with him, very closely with Brendan. Uh, And, you know, I think as a first experience as a screenwriter, I mean, that that's incredibly rare. Uh, And I think I'm only starting to realize how rare that is, Um, you know, because, you know, over the years, like I'm sorry.
2: You think you've been spoiled now? By yeah, this? I think, oh, oh, yeah. Like, I'm never
1: going to have it this good, ever, ever, ever again. I mean, I and I don't think I even realized it at the time. I mean, I, you know, Darren, uh, you know, we, we first talked about the, the script 10 years ago, and, you know, then he kind of drifted away from it for a little bit, and Protozoa, his company, still had the rights, and so there was a few other directors who kind of circled it and uh, expressed interest, and those directors all wanted to, like, do a pass at it and kind of rewrite it themselves. And and mm. some of them didn't even want to tell me what they wanted to do to it. And it was really kind of a little surprising and um, bracing because I was just like, uh, you know, it would be one thing if this was like a novel I had adapted or 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 somebody else's idea that I had executed. But I was like, this is very close to, you know, to me. I mean, this comes from a deeply personal place. It's, you know, I've, I've worked on this play through multiple productions. And so the idea of somebody else kind of sweeping in swooping in and and reworking it i i i it was just confusing to me because i i yeah. I was like i you know as the kind of progenitor of this story and this guy i I was like I, I I didn't know what value that had, and so uh you know I think I'm only realizing now like the how lucky I am that Darren put so much trust and faith in me and and you know so much though so, so that like on set I could. You know, if I was watching the monitor and 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 I had an idea or a thought, I could just like rush up to Darren and Brendan and express that thought and they welcomed it. Um, uh, so yeah, that is
2: that is a great a great environment for a writer. Yeah, you know, uh, often I, I think when, when um, we talk about uh, about the creative process. Uh, people who, who have not struggled in both the world of film and the world of theater don't realize that in theater, the, the play is the thing. The, yeah. <laughs> the script is is king, and, and the words are are where you build everything from. And really, as you say in film, the director is the top of that tier. Yes. Uh, so to have a director who saw your work as a play and respected the, the creativity, the words, the characters you had created to that level is really, I, I think it's reflected in this film. I think it's why it, it stays authentic to to the original piece i saw
1: yeah yeah i i think that that spirit of kind of generosity and openness kind of um kind of infiltrated the entire production you know i mean we all came together in the middle of a pandemic to yeah. to to tell this story like like you know this was pre-vaccines i think i got my first shot toward the end of the of the production process but you know like us coming together and doing this it felt a little dangerous or you know if i it, it felt like we are all very Tentatively coming into a room together to tell this story. I mean, it was certainly the first thing that I did coming out of the pandemic, um, and and so I think like that spirit of generosity and and um, and and collaboration was really kind of like um, I shouldn't use this word, but infected the entire process. You know, <laughs> like like it just felt like everybody. We all really liked each other. We all wanted to support one another. Um, and, and I, and I think it's also, you know, Brendan is such a deeply generous and kind human being. Um, and, and I think, uh, yeah, everybody was just taking care of each other, which was really wonderful.
2: I mean, let's talk about Brendan Fraser for a minute. I mean, he is, he, he does have, I mean, with the characters you've created, with the situations <laughs> you've created, with your beautiful words, uh, he has the weight of this film literally mm. on his shoulders and does it so well. And, and he's been very open about his own struggles mm. uh, in his career with mental health, with, you know, physical health, all these different things that, that this script really spoke to for him. Here's a guy who had, you know, it was number one, number two box office hits as an action hero in the course of his career has done some very thoughtful films. I don't know why the, there seems to feel like like the public loves for a person like that to to fall down a bit and to get knocked down, mm-hmm. um, and and then you watch an opportunity be handed to this person who elevates the material in such a beautiful way. Yes, that had to be incredibly gratifying for you.
1: Oh, it was wonderful. I mean, I I think you know for the last ten years the big question for. Darren was like, who's going to be Charlie? And I was so nervous about that because I, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of people do this role. I know yeah. the pitfalls and I, and, um, and was basically like when Darren first reached out to me, I know that he had looked at, you know, tons of people over the years and had considered a lot of different people, both famous and not famous. Um, and, but Brendan Fraser was the first name that Darren ever brought to me. Um, it was actually shortly before the pandemic hit. He he texted me and he was like, "What about Brendan Fraser?" Um, and so Darren just rented a little theater in the East Village, and we did a reading and mm. uh, and actually Sadie was in the reading too, uh, who was incredible. And it was like five yes. minutes into the reading, I was just like, "Holy cow!" Like he has it. Like it's it's you know a lot of the a lot of times when you do an audition or do a reading or something. You know, you have the feeling of like, oh, they can get there. Like, they're really talented, I think, with some work. They can really uh, arrive at this role. But but there was something about Brendan that, that from that initial read, it was just like, he already has it. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's there. It's so present. I mean, his ability to hold, uh, you know, deep joy and deep despair at the same moment you know, is, is incredible because that's real life, you know, <laughs> like, like, and yes. I, and I think that's what the play and the film are really about is like, about like joy and despair living side by side, you know, and that, yes. and, and yeah. Brendan has that in spades.
2: I, and, and some of the most beautiful moments are, I mean, you know, I'm watching him open a, a drawer full of candy and decide if he's going to eat it. There, you've got it. He, he's going, he's going to thoroughly enjoy in the moment exactly what, what's killing him. I It's, uh, it's such a beautiful, tiny metaphor without words. Yeah. Um, and the film is just, just packed with those kinds of things. There's um, an
1: amazing well, moment where I, I was a, a little nervous about all the cutting that I did because I was like, how much can this actor, whoever it is, how much can this actor communicate silently? You know, And, there, mm-hmm. and there's a big moment in the play where he decides to contact his estranged daughter. And in right. the play, it happens in dialogue. He says it to his friend Liz, uh, and I, in the screenplay, I made it kind of a silent moment, uh, actually shortly after the moment you described with, with the candy bars. Um, yes. and I was nervous cause I was like, that's a lot of story to communicate silently. Um, but it's one of my favorite moments in the film. I mean, that moment where Brendan tells that story with his eyes that I am finally going to contact my daughter. Uh, and that moment actually became the, the photo that was released that then became the poster. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a beautiful moment in the film.
2: It is. More from this episode of CBS Mornings
1: after this
2: short break.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500, 500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500, 500.
2: I wonder, I mean, you are really one of my favorite playwrights, but someone only people who like playwrights probably knew until this moment. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <That's> <laughs> I right. mean, you,
2: you've, got, you've got triple degrees from probably three of the most important writing programs in the world. You've never stopped teaching, which is really a, a great gift you've given to the world. And and there are young writers who credit you with their entire careers. And as I said, you've got the MacArthur Genius Grant, which is an incredible honor for anyone, but usually goes to people who... Um, who don't need the money and don't right. need the
1: opportunity. <laughs> yeah. And you were- Yeah, Lynn manuel really, Miranda didn't really need yeah, that money. <laughs> no,
2: but you were doing small plays in small theaters. Uh, the way you describe the origin of this play is you sort of, like you say, you wrote it for yourself, sent it to the D- Denver Center uh, and for a, a playwriting competition and sort of ducked your head down and expected nothing to happen. But what have you learned about the difference between writing for this Stage and writing for film through this process. I mean, because you've worked on other television and films since you began this, but you say this was your education.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I, I, I mean, I'm just so lucky that I have the ability to pay my mortgage and, and <laughs> like have health insurance. I mean, it, it is a miracle that, that I am allowed to live a middle-class life given the choices (laughs) that i've made about like what i want to do with my life
2: i I think i think that might change for you sir (laughs) we'll see
1: we'll see i mean but i mean really i mean not only did i do this like very esoteric thing of wanting to be a playwright but but i wanted to like write these kinds of plays i like want to write these plays about isolation and human connection and so like it 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 is it a a a miracle that that um that i've been allowed to do this as long as i've uh been doing it um and and you know when, when i first wrote this play you know my then boyfriend now husband and i were living in like a fifth floor walk up illegal sublet um and you know <laughs> living hand to mouth and i was teaching expository writing at rutgers and both of us were actually um, and, uh, you know, when I, and I just, I wanted to be a playwright. That's all that I wanted to do is just have the space to tell the stories that I wanted to tell. And, and so, you know, when the play was produced in a 125 seat theater here in, in, I and mean, even when it premiered in Denver, I was like, this is incredible. Mm-hmm. Like that, that somebody actually wants to, uh, you know, pay me any money at all. <laughs> you know to, to, to do this and so like and I, and I think I also just as as an artist I never had the expectation that my writing would earn me any money because I because of the kinds of plays that I wrote and so when it started to support me financially in even small ways it was just like uh, it was incredible you know I, I remember one of I, like I had an early play that I wrote called Norway that was um wrote it a few a few years before the whale that was done at a few universities and i was getting checks for like five hundred dollars and i was like oh my god like i just got a check for five hundred dollars for a play and i like went out and bought a vacuum you know because it was just so exciting (laughs) uh
2: and it and it was a dyson not a cheap one
1: yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it was just so so i i just continue to be so grateful uh uh and and happy that that um that i'm allowed to do what i do
2: I have to say that's what surrounds this film to me is a sense of humanity, a sense of gratitude by all the players in it uh, behind the scenes on camera. Everyone seemed to know that they're doing something special. That's what I love mm. most about this piece is that it doesn't feel like any other movie and it does feel like your play, but it's, but it works perfectly as a piece of cinema cinema. Also, those of us who work in the theater our work is so ephemeral sometimes it's part of what's beautiful about it, but you have that moment and then it goes away. That's right. And and, you know, they never document it quite the way you want it to be. It's a, you can't, you know, go to the public library and experience what it was like to sit in that room with actual other human beings risking and, and leading the story all night. That's right. But, but part of what I, I was struck by while I was watching this is, and knowing you as a playwright, is it must be really beautiful to have something permanent to look at for for your family, for your students, for everybody, and say this this is something I made.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's 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 one of the real revelations of the film has been and uh, you know theater. I love theater, and and like you say, theater is so femoral, ephemeral. And it's one of the things that I love about theater that it's like we all experience this thing that happens only i mean yes you do it multiple times the run extends but like that specific performance you know that Mm -hmm. evening is Mm -hmm. is never going to happen again the same way you know it's it's like this rare thing that that we all experience together and it's one of the things that i love about theater and it's it's the thing that that um takes me back to the theater over and over is that communal experience that rare experience but i was actually reflecting on this yesterday at the at the premiere um of of the movie when i was watching it that's sort of like wow like this is so much more accessible than theater i mean one of the things that i struggle with with theater is like just the fact that ticket prices are what they are yes you know yes. like like especially given that i i write a, about working in middle-class idahoans i mean the fact that you know i i had to play it. <laughs> Lincoln Center, uh, right before the pandemic. And I mean, the ticket prices were like $90. I mean, God bless Lincoln Center. Right. I, I love working there, but you know, I mean, it, there's such a, a barrier. Not only do you need to be in New York city, but you need to pay like 90 bucks to be in the room, you know? And there, and there's yes, something about absolutely. this film that's like, uh, it's, it's so much more egalitarian, I guess. I mean, it's, it's so much more accessible and that makes me so happy that this story, you know, can, reach so many more people and it's a real honestly it's a it's a credit to to darren and a24 that they took this story that that is not the kind of story that that most people would be like okay let's pour millions of dollars into this and make it a movie and release it across the country um but they had that faith in it um and that's really incredible
2: it is funny i mean you just talk about two collaborators who have made some of the most creative art in the last you know, 10, 15 years, 24 and Aronofsky, but mostly a lot of what they've dealt with is sort of the horror genre, fantasy genre, surrealism. This this film could not be farther removed from from that. It it is the opposite of that genre, but that partnership, even when I read about it, uh, that it was going to be released, seemed to be perfect because they do deal in existential metaphor. And that's, that's so much what this very small, simple, beautiful story is about.
1: That's right, yeah. And I think A twenty four is also like really starting to branch out in really exciting ways. I mean, like you know, I, I have a five year old kid, and and I never thought there would be an A twenty four film that I could share with my daughter, but <laughs> but here is Marcel, the shell with shoes on, you know, yes, and, you know, they, so right, you know that, uh, and my daughter <laughs> loves it, you know. Um, so I mean, it's yeah, it's just incredibly exciting, uh, and I and I think like Darren also. I mean, one of the things that that when we first started talking um, that really gave me faith in, like, Darren's ability to tell the story the way it needed to be told was his film The Wrestler, um, mm-hmm. which shares mm-hmm. a lot with this film. I mean, that's also about a father kind of tentatively reconnecting with a daughter. It's a very different film, obviously. Um, it is.
2: But but even the cast, he, ca- he cast yes. Mickey Rourke, who at the time had had a great career and had become something people snickered at and, and – he never forgot the brilliance in this man, and he and he let it shine
1: that's exactly right, yeah, yeah, and and it's also just something in in the filmmaking too, where the wrestler you really feel like you're just living almost inside of this guy. I mean, it's just like mm-hmm. it, it it feels so close, you know, and so I remember like re-watching that film shortly after connecting with Darren and being like, oh, if he could you know again, they're very different films, but but if he could like take this kind of approach to this story, it could be incredibly beautiful and i think he's done that
2: well i have to say his sister is a beloved producer at cbs oh. <laughs> <laughs> who works for 48 hours and um, and uh they they're a very a very talented family and and have done well by uh, by their creativity just as you have one last thing i have to ask yeah this this film really garnered its internet attention and uh sort of its current focus with a lot of people who would not normally see a a film like this, wanting to see it Mm. with the, I believe it was an eight minute standing ovation for something like that. And for Brendan at the Venice film festival, what was that moment like for you? Because here you are at an international, um, you know, I mean, if I, I, I don't, the cinephiles, let's call them that. We won't call them movie snobs, but (laughs) uh, but you're you're at one of the most important global festivals for important films and not only does it get a good reception, but it gets the longest, I believe, standing ovation of anything for the entire festival. What what was that moment like for
1: you? I mean, all of this continues to be very surreal. Um, I, I mean, you know, I had never been to a film festival. And and then all of a sudden I was at Venice, like walking this kind of red carpet the size of a football field and <laughs> i mean i mean the, i mean it the, everything has been um incredibly surreal uh and and incredibly wonderful too i mean it, it i just continue to be so gratified that that people are going on the ride do you know what i mean like that people are really do, like yeah. like like meeting this film where where because there's something about this this play and this film that it doesn't um beg you to to get on the ride. Do you know what I mean? Like like it's it's I really do. just an invitation to spend some time with this guy. I really feel like I'm just kind of opening a door and asking you to walk inside. I I kind of feel like that that's common with all my plays that I'm I'm not like going to deploy any tricks or you know big devices to kind of drag you in the door. I'm just kind of like inviting you to walk inside. Um and there's a risk in that because if you if you, you know, don't meet that invitation, then there's kind of nothing we can do, <laughs> you know, like, like then it's just kind of, you're on the outside and you're never going to be in. Um, and so the fact that, that so many people are meeting that invitation and is, is incredible because it, and it's also been very unlike opening a, a play because in a play, you know, you show it to a lot of people before opening night you know you 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 have rehearsals in the in the hall I mean you know you have rehearsals in the hall you share it with people you invite people in you have the designer run you you know and then you have a preview process which is often several weeks and so you get a lot of experience seeing the story in front of people but like you know i had seen the film before venice but that was like in a room with one other person you know and then all of the a yeah. sudden here we are in venice and there's 1100 people or whatever it was watching it and and so it was um it was very like anxiety provoking because <laughs> I was just like, I, I bet. what's going to happen. And so when when the film ended and it really felt like people had gone on the ride, it was just I think I, there was for all of us who had worked on the film, we just felt a really keen sense of joy.
2: Well, this is this is uh, a ride worth taking for people. I love the way you described it. I also love the fact that I think, um, you know, just just from your sincerity as a writer, you were ahead of the curve of the anti-hero uh, focus that's, <laughs> that's prevalent in the world now because your characters are always people who've made good choices and poor choices yeah. and are trying to struggle with the results of both those things. And that's true in all your plays. Certainly true in this story. The whale is worth your time. You've got to see it. Also, you got to get used to walking on those red carpets now <laughs> because, we'll uh, see. You're, you're going to be walking on a lot more of them <laughs> fingers here, crossed I gotta tell you. no you i don't have to cross fingers at all this is a beautiful movie uh and it's well worth your time phenomenal performances beautiful writing great direction and it's been a pleasure to talk to you one of my favorite playwrights samuel d hunter thank you so much
1: thank you so much Hey, Prime members, you can listen to CBS Mornings on the go ad-free
2: on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey.
0: Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven...